Yeah. Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we're here today to talk all things Watchmen. It will be spoiler-filled, so if you haven't read the book, then uh, come back later and watch it later. Don't spoil yourself. So uh, we can start with going on the around the room and everybody introduce themselves. Jose, you want to kick us off? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, my name is Jose. I have a channel called Amazing Worlds, which is not very easy to find that way on YouTube. However, we discovered that if you type Wheel of Time sucks, you'll find me there. First result, <laughs> so give it a check. Yeah, my name is John. My channel name is uh, Hey Y'all Listen Up, and uh, should be able to find my channel name if you type that in. Because it was one thing I actually checked before I uh, titled my channel that. And there's like one video that's titled that, and that's it. So, or if you want to type something shorter, type Piers Anthony, you'll probably find me that way. <laughs> Um, my name's Marissa Bailey, and my channel name is just Marissa Bailey, and I know that there's probably a bunch more channels with the same name, so yeah, I have not typed it in and checked. <laughs> <laughs> it's always those little things you think of after you've already started, and you're like, oh, I should have looked into that before I started doing this. And, yes. But, yeah, one of those things. So uh, we are here today to talk uh, Watchmen, and I Jose, you want to show off your your signed copy before we? I think it's worth uh, it's worth showing off. Yeah, it's actually, and it's actually you know personalized because it says for Jose there by Dave Gibbons, artist, and uh, John Higgins. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, which, which who was the colorist for for the whole series? So pretty pretty sort of treasured uh, in my collection. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd be touching that book. I just want it put away somewhere <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> Tempted to buy a different copy for reading and keeping that for inheritance for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had to, I was, I feel like I've bought this book countless times and I ended up with this version and um, I forget the, the name of this edition. I think it's the deluxe edition and on the back. I thought that the bookstore I went to sold me a used book because in the back there's like a handwritten note from uh, from somebody you look into it and it's actually from um from neil gaiman and it's just they put it in the back as like a gag but i thought oh someone like had this book and return or like you know sold it or and i thought i'm gonna go return this and get a new copy but so i thought that was kind of funny so uh we were talking a little bit before we went live about how this book um marissa it's your first time reading it but mm -hmm. for those of us who's read it a few times it seems like it's a different experience every time what stood out to you this time? Um, well, first, Marissa, let's start off with you. What did, what were your impressions? What did you uh, what did you think about it? Um, so I had watched the movie before, and for some reason, the movie just didn't really click for me because this is probably my husband loves the movie, and he's seen it a million times, read the graphic novel. And he kept telling me, you need to read the graphic novel and, you know, it'll be so much better. And yeah, I think a lot of things stuck out to me that I didn't notice in the movie. And um, I just feel like I was able to kind of connect with the characters a lot more. So that was really interesting. It's, it's a movie that I think if you don't know the comic book, it's really, it's like a strange experience to watch the movie. If to not have yeah. that context going into it i think it's it's easy to get confused so i think that's that's understandable i think um 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I watched the movie first, but it's been you know I watched it shortly after it came out. So I watched it and then I bought the, the book and read it. And I think I remember following along fairly well with the movie. Um, but you know I enjoyed the movie well enough to actually buy the book. And I think I actually enjoyed reading the, the graphic novel more the first time I read it than this time that I read it because honestly I. I didn't really enjoy the story all that much this time reading it, which is maybe I'm just in a weird place because I haven't enjoyed anything I've read all month. So, you know, at least I finished it. So. <laughs> and Steve's laughing because I was supposed to, to uh, be on a live with him earlier for the second book in Expanse and got 200 pages in and was like, no, I'm done. <laughs> Well, say what did you think about this one, uh, the, on this read? Well, I think the first time I read it, I didn't fully understand what it was about. I think, like you mentioned before, if you go into the movie or the comic without having any background, seemingly it's a superhero story, but, but it's not really. Like These superheroes aren't really super. None of them have superpowers except for one, and, and it's all a bit weird. So... I there's some really good channels out there with some really good videos explaining uh, what Alan Moore was trying and I think managed to to do with the comic and, and then on, on second and third and fourth rereads is like everything clicks everything makes perfect sense um, and there's so much detail on not just the story but also the layout of the panels uh, in the comic and and and, and different stuff. And Alan Moore is very renowned in the comic world for having super detailed scripts where the artist just gets pages and pages and pages of like a backstory or description of each single panel. And um, it completely threw me vibe. I was stuck in my head when um, the Night Owl and the Silk Spectre go for dinner. And I didn't notice on the first couple of reads but the chicken on the table has got six legs. And, and, and that's like, wow, okay, that's weird. And that was in the script originally and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't pick that up reading, but I read the, the IMDB notes about the movie, and they actually copied that in the movie. And so I was like, you know, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, it's just like all the tiny little details that Alan Moore just plants along the way. And, and then I didn't understand at all the whole Black Friday thing. Why do we have this comic within the comic? And then it all made sense later on. Is that I really like that they did that. I think the book works on very many levels, but it needs a bit of context, at least for me it did. See if I can find that panel. But yeah, you mentioned the layout. I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't even notice it until I watched some of those videos about the background and what, you know, kind of Watchmen explained or whatever. And the layout for the panels is consistent from start to finish. I mean, there, mm -hmm. are, there are some that they combine panels, but it's still that nine uh, on, the, on the page is still the, the same yeah. layout on all the different pages. That It doesn't stray from that, that no, point, which I, is crazy. It's like a very classic nine panel per page. Mm. But again, because we've got the full we, we've got the full thing, 
But I think on the single issues, there was one of them where you've got like two of the panels combine into one, and that sort of and that combination of two panels moves clockwise around every page. So that you know, there's so many things going on with not just the story, but the art and layouts and everything, like I said before, that you pick on them on different rereads, or maybe someone points it out to you and then you go on and look for it. Hmm. I did not know that. I feel like I really noticed that in um, Rorschach's mask, like how you could see like the two people hugging or whatever they were doing, and it's like the mural on the street too. I really liked all the different kind of you know hidden gems in there like that. Well, yeah, lots of subtle, lots of subtle uh, touches in there. And uh, just want to say hello to Matt on Books. Matt has a new channel, so go check it out. Matt from Berlin. So the, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> well, I guess Dr. Manhattan, I, his story, I think, is my favorite character arc of the of the story. You know, he, he, he doesn't feel like he has control of his life when he's um, learning how to fix watches and his dad convinces him to go into a different field. And he never feels like he fully has control. And when he does have his power, he's being used and he doesn't feel like he has control over that. Even when he's a superhuman being, he doesn't feel like he has control over his life. And that's why I think he decides to just leave and go. I think at the end he says he's going to go start, like start humanity somewhere else, like just kind of for fun. So what did everyone think about uh, Dr. Manhattan and that whole storyline? I thought it was kind of sad. Like, um, you know, whenever he got locked into that thing and his girlfriend at the time just kind of walked away from him and then he gets blasted. Um, and then having to live life just knowing everything that's going to happen. And yeah, that was really sad to me, but it was also very interesting. And some of the things that he said kind of reminded me of um, this author, Dostoevsky, Fyodor Dostoevsky, um, kind of like how he felt, um, I don't know, felt like humanity just wasn't, I don't, I can't explain what I'm thinking, but you guys understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, I think the whole Dr. Manhattan thing is that kind of so super powered, super, you know, superhuman that he sees humanity as we see ants like he doesn't care anymore because he just operates on a totally different level and humanity is just meaningless to him it's just a speck in the in the universe and that sort of kind of makes sense because he's totally dehumanized he's not using his powers to take advantage he's got no material interest um he's just a completely detached entity um, I, think, I think that's the intention there. And, uh, and him knowing how everything starts and finishes, there's no surprises for mm -hmm. him. So, no, it's, he knows everything. And that has, like you said, Marissa, I think that's a, a lonely experience to have, to know how everything starts and ends. Uh, Matt says, back in the early 90s, a friend handed me all the individual issues at a party and I told, <laughs> and told me to read it immediately. 
I missed the party. <laughs> it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what else stood out to all of you on this uh, on this read? I, I've always kind of tried, and I think I still don't understand, the comedian. Like, was, like why is he a Because he's not a comedian, obviously. So is he just... What, is he the comedian because he thinks everything is a joke or because he just looks at everything from a as well, kind of detached, sarcastic, cynical point of view and just thinks everything is a joke because he doesn't crack jokes <laughs> throughout the day. He doesn't act very comedian-like. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, yeah I definitely cynical. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, that's pretty much what I was going to say is, you know, he's, he's just got this cynical outlook on, on life and, you know, everything's kind of funny to him. Yeah, I think he kind of sees life and everything as like a big joke, and he mm -hmm. just he has no uh, no sympathy, no empathy, just doesn't care. Uh, he, but you know, I think some of the moments he has when he shoots the the woman that's carrying his child back in I think it was in the Vietnam. That was a. Tough so scene. in a in a way, he's kind of quite similar to Doctor Manhattan as well. They are both fairly mm -hmm. detached. From from everything, they, like you said, they got no empathy for anything or anyone. Yeah, maybe. And uh, Derry said, "Doctor Manhattan is an interesting discussion about the isolation of power, of being different and therefore feared." Yeah, he um, think the whole world is different, and it him become him getting his powers really changes the course of of everything because now in 1980 in 1980 in new york there's electric cars there's uh different kinds of transportation there's uh genetically enhanced food with the chicken with six legs so it really changes and nixon's on his what sixth term or something like that yeah i think it's fair oh yeah so it really changes the course of humanity him him becoming uh what he what he became it was really, yeah, it was really sad uh, story, his, his which is, story. Which is kind of why we get the whole Curse of the Black Friday comic in there. Because I didn't understand mm -hmm. it at the beginning at all. But um, apparently it was a more thing to say, well, if actual superheroes existed and were a real thing, we wouldn't need superhero comics. Like, what would the comics or the of a society or a world like that be like, and that's where Black Friday comes in. That's interesting. I kind of, of missed that from the movie, but I I know they released it as a separate short animated story, but I haven't watched it. I think it's definitely out there. In the, I think it's the ultimate edition of Watchmen. It's like three and a half hours long, but it does integrate the Black Freighter with the movie, so it, it does insert it in. Uh, but it's but if you're gonna, it's I love that version but if you're gonna watch it then like clear your schedule for the day because it's, it's i tried it to watch long. that one yesterday and i fell asleep like halfway through <laughs> yeah it's it's a long it's a long watch well the standard one's only just under three hours so the black freighter does only adds like a half hour to it yeah yeah zack snyder is infamous for his long movies so mm -hmm. 
Uh, Matt said, I always thought the point of seeing, uh, I always thought the point was that he sees life as a joke with no meaning. Uh, Derry, I thought the comedian was another look at the ridiculous nature of humanity. Uh, I always thought uh, Dr. M was Moore's answer to what would a realist superhero be like? And the answer was not human. I love yeah, that. that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just say I love that when Dr. Manhattan, everyone is like calling him a god and he says like he doesn't believe in God and if he did, he wouldn't, you know, be like him. And I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah, I mean, but, but it's not just Dr. Manhattan, isn't it? Every, every, of, every one of the superheroes in, in, in the cast is, there's something wrong with them, isn't mm -hmm. it? It is Alan Moore's thing again of, whoa, how crazy in the head do you have to be to put on a costume and go out there fighting crime? And they all have their different, you know, Rorschach is a total sociopath. Um, Night Owl is probably the more normal one of of them, but obviously, you know, Silk Spectre's got daddy issues. Um, Ozymandias is a total megalomaniac. So they, they all ha they all have sort of sort of deep psychological traumas going on there, because no same person would put on a costume and go out fighting crime. Yeah, I thought the uh, you know some of the the artwork the artwork at the Rorschach had had mm -hmm. some Batman vibes to it with kind of the similar poses and uh, ways that Batman's been depicted. And it, it's the like you said, the person who goes out and fights crime in the middle of the night, punches criminals all night, is not going to be someone like Bruce Wayne. It's going to be someone like Rorschach, this insane you know person who's on the edge of you know you know he, he has this weird view of of life and this. That's whether he, um, this no compromise, this black and white, good and bad kind of viewpoint on 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 life. So he's uh, that's definitely the person that would be dressing up and punching criminals at, all night. Uh, Matt said, "Yeah, that kind of power can't help but give you perspective that's inhuman." Uh, Rorschach isn't a superhero though; he's literally an insane vigilante, and. A, a, I think too uh, with Night Owl, like you said, he's probably the the closest to being normal. But uh, even when he goes back and he dusts off his costume, he he says something like uh, he's embarrassed of that he even has all this stuff. Like it seems childish and goofy. So, uh, Dory said, depending on the situation, Rorschach could be considered one of the worst villains. I, I think Rorschach is. Um... Alan Moore's um, version of was it was it the the question or Mr. A? It was a sixties slash seventies superhero created by Steve Ditko, which was the original co-creator of Spider-Man, and then he went kind of underground comics, and he had this character. I think it was DA, which was very much black and white, like you know things are you're either in the right or you are in the wrong. And he was going around fighting crime. And I think that's kind of Alan Moore's um, homage to Steve Ditko. And it was either the DA or the question, one of the two. I can't remember now. Hmm. Uh, I really. Said, yeah. I'm sorry, Marissa, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I really liked Rorschach's character more than I thought I would. Like, just learning more about his backstory, I was, I really could understand why he was like that, you know? I thought it was a good thing, but... <laughs> I think even with Rorschach, with, with uh, his childhood and the way that he, you know, what he experienced as a child and his this uh, regression he had this aggression he has with sexuality and because of his mom and her profession mm-hmm. um he was even semi functional until he started until he had all these experiences fighting crime and you know interacting with these criminals that he started to really you know he just got worse and worse but i suspect that would be a a fairly normal understandable logical development like if you spend your day or your nights, as the case may be, dealing with the worst of the worst of humanity, you will lose hope, right? It would be quite difficult to keep yourself sort of cheerful and and happy. So probably, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Did did you guys did you find yourselves rooting for Rorschach? Is A little the, bit. <laughs> is, yeah. Is uh, I think he's one of the more sympathetic characters in the story. So yeah, I mean, I, I kind of rooted for him, I guess more so than some of, some of the others. Hmm. Marissa, did you root for Rorschach? Yeah, just a little bit. I felt sympathy for him and I was kind of, you know, it's like I love that it ended with this kind of question on like, you know, should he have told humanity, but he did send his journal off and was that the right thing to do or not tell people and I don't know, it's just I think about it both ways and I really don't know what the right answer would have been. That is a, a great question. What does everyone think about that? Should he have sent the journal i would say yes um obviously i kind of like ozymandias stands for the end justifies the means isn't it he's just seeking global peace he's trying to unite humanity in the most perverse possible way and Rorschach stands for the individual, isn't it? And, and that's why he wants to prevent and expose all of this. Because ultimately, I think Night Owl and the Silk Spectre, they make peace with the fact that the world is now united against a common threat. And they're sort of accepting of Ozymandias' plan. Rorschach was always, you know, sort of defending the individual and, and that kind of dichotomy there. Um, the problem is, I suspect, that that crappy magazine that he sends the journal to wouldn't take it seriously. So that, that's how I would, um, in my head, that's how the whole thing concludes. Yeah, I love that it left, it left us off on that, on that last panel with not really knowing if what happens with his journal, does anyone, are they going to take it seriously? Is it going to get, is it gonna make a difference? Yeah, the, the movie is actually a little less ambiguous about it because basically at the end of the movie, they're like, that newspaper's like, well, peace is broke out. What are we going to run now? 
And so they were, well, go to the crank file and, and see if there's anything interesting in there. So, you know, they, they the movie kind of leaves it like, oh, well, you know, who will, will, you know, will anybody believe it? Well, who knows? But, it, you know, it, it leaves it on a, on a note that they, they're going to look at it because they have nothing else to print. Uh, I really like that, um, you know, Dr. Manhattan, I feel like he sees stuff on such a larger scale and he's like, yeah, everything's going to be peaceful for right now, but it's not ever going to stay that way, you know. Yeah, how long will that last? Well, how long would the relationship between Silk Spectre and Night Owl last? Yeah. Well, well, how long does anything ever last, you know? Yeah, because I don't give them much hope either. I think that they, they just sort of fell together because of what they were, not because there was any kind of mutual personal appreciation. They, they understood each other because they were both costume vigilantes, not because there was any particular personal yeah. thing going on there. But I don't, I don't know whether that's enough to sustain a, yeah. a long-term relationship. I'm going to be cynic. I'm going to be like the comedian and say no. But. Yeah. Well, at the point in the story, you know, that was the only person that she knew other than Dr. Manhattan. So. Yeah. You just get the, the feeling like that's, she was with, she was, you know, staying with him because she had no other options, not because she was really, you know, cared. I got the impression that they cared about each other, but it wasn't anything significant. It wasn't anything too significant. Yeah, like he was kind of the default person to go to. Yeah, I almost felt almost felt bad for him, uh, in a way. But uh, Matt says uh, Rorschach's a fucking psycho. He's he's trying to at least uh, at least trying to do the right thing, and he's not totally useless like Night Owl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's interesting that Rorschach still believes kind of in the in the individual, even though he's seen so much of, you know, what individuals are capable of. That's an interesting kind of thought that, you know, he, he hasn't given up on people, individuals, where as Ozymandias, he has this kind of, you know, he has given up on humanity. He's like, you know, I have to do this in order for, you know, you, you know, I basically have to lie to humanity in order to move them forward. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Darius said, I think sending the journal is something Rorschach almost has to do. He's an agent of the chaotic good. Uh, Dr. M is inhuman, not all is impotent, and do good. The community doesn't care about good. Uh, Darius said, humanity is naturally uh, combative. Existence forces change, and change is difficult. Well, Osmandius forces uh, forces that change. Uh, what did everyone think about his plan, how that all came together? I think the one of the goofier parts of the book were when uh, when Night Owl and Rorschach are trying to find clues in his office, and they, they, he chooses he just guesses the password to all his, his big master plan. I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it seemed kind of a little bit out of place so i thought it was i thought it might be just intentional kind of like poking fun at these kind of stories almost 
not having the answer, but knowing a lot more, you know, nothing, nothing is done without a reason. Nothing is, you know, him writing himself into a corner and coming with a cheap way to solve that dead end. So yeah, quite possibly. Although, was anyone caught by surprise by the reveal at the end when they go to this polar base that Ozymandias has and that he's the mastermind behind everything? For me, that was quite an unexpected turn of events. I felt like that was definitely unexpected. I was thinking it was going to be um, some sort of government thing that was set up um, and they were actually trying to kill all the superheroes. And I was also not expecting him to be like, oh, yeah, I already pulled the trigger 35 minutes ago, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. It's been too long since the first time I've read it. I, so I don't remember how surprised I was. And I think by the time that I got kind of toward that part in this time, I was like, I kind of remembered that he was the master. I didn't, I, I didn't go, you know, I didn't start remembering it. But by the time I got there, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember this part now. Yeah, when, when Ozzy does explain his plan to all of them, he, he's almost gloating about it. And uh, he says, you know, I did it. I, I've already done it. But it, it, you do get the feeling that these, these heroes are completely worthless. Like they're, you know, they didn't, they didn't do anything, really. They didn't stop anything from happening. And I think that kind of puts it in perspective. And that's another juxtaposition to the classic villain explaining his plan to the hero mm -hmm. and giving him or her the time to it's the opposite to a James Bond villain, isn't it? Where they just they are gloating about how they're going to conquer the world, and then James Bond pulls out his laser bomb watch or whatever it is, right? Like here, <laughs> it doesn't matter. He doesn't care about telling them the plan because he's already done it. It's all in motion. And to answer Matt's question, did Ossie do the right thing? Well, that, that depends, isn't it, on whether you think that the ends justify the means. Hmm. Possibly, what, I don't know. <laughs> what, what would you say, Jose? What, what do you think? Uh, uh, no, no. I, I possibly don't need to start a nuclear World War Three and release some kind of Cthulhu-like octopus monster in the world to, to save society. It's probably going a little bit too far. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. I was just going to say, I agree. Cause you know, thinking again, how Dr. Manhattan was like, yeah, it's all fine for now. And you know, no telling how long world peace was going to last. And I'm just one of those people. I don't believe that you know, a utopia could exist, so. Yeah, and I'm going to agree here and say that he did the wrong thing, mostly because, you know, people have the right to determine their own life in as much as possible. And he took that right, he took that right away from people because he, he, he put it upon himself, the responsibility of, you know, working out, trying to work out and here again i mean as sooner or later people are going to figure out that he was responsible for for what he did and you know then he's he's going to you know 
the repercussions of that would probably be much worse than than what he was trying to prevent. So you wonder if he wouldn't have done what he did and nuclear war did start, how many people would have died? And, you know, having control or having a choice in what happens and Ozzy took that choice away from everyone is almost like a government taking choice away from the people too. Because if Nixon decided to hit the button and to nuke everybody, that's him taking that choice away well, from well, well, here again, I mean, Ozymandias really couldn't have known that the Soviets were going to offer help. I mean, the U.S. could have as the U.S. could have very easily assumed that it was a Russian attack and you know hit the button and started World War Three anyway. Hmm. Yeah, but that depends on whether you buy into the premise that he's the most intelligent man in the world. Well, and and, and here again, he he says very clearly clearly in the book that he is not. I mean, he, he himself denies that he's the smartest human being on the face of the earth. But, but all evidence points to the contrary, isn't it? Because he even manages to fool Dr. Manhattan. Because he makes Dr. Manhattan believe that he's the cause of all these people that he's associated with in the past, uh, developing cancer, and he's, he's figured out a way to block his powers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, the, the action- But, is that, but is, is that not just a plot hole in the story? That's a question. I don't know. What do you think? Is it? I, I actually think it's more of a plot hole in the story. But, and I, maybe I'm wrong, but- hmm. uh, What do you think about that, Barissa? Was that- something that was intentional or was that just a, a plot hole? Um, I really don't know. Um, you're saying like whether it was intentional that he was able to fool Dr. Manhattan. Hmm. Um, I think that I guess whatever he did to block like something because I it seemed like Dr. Manhattan just kind of got, was able to figure out exactly what he did as soon as he got there. So maybe Dr. Manhattan just had so many things going on with what he was doing at, you know, the government and then all the stuff with Silk Spectre that he was just wasn't, I really don't know because he's supposed to kind of see everything. So, yeah. That's yeah, a, a good question. I think, um, you can also look at too that there's this nuclear war on the edge of you know one of the someone going to push the button and there's there's that and there's this everyone has cancer and he's he's just like hanging out on Mars by himself just you know kind of reminiscing so you wonder if if he ignored this whole plot that Rorschach was investigating that he just blew it off as that's just Rorschach being crazy I'm not gonna you know he didn't really pay attention to it and meanwhile he didn't he never suspected Ozymandias that he would. He never really suspected him, but again, you would think if he knows everything and he can see the future and the past and every, it all runs together for him, then shouldn't he have known at least or had a, a clue that something might be wrong at some point? But but he was blocking his, whatever you call it, sort of future seeing abilities by making him work on this project, that they, whatever the project was, I don't know, for like infinite energy or, or whatever like that. Like, you know, he really had it all 
figure out. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I, it's a plausible explanation for everything that happens. I, I don't lean so much towards the plot hole uh, side of things, but it's a valid uh, point of view. And that's, that's the danger, too, of making these heroes too powerful. Then it's hard to, how do you ever get over on them if they're, if they know, have, you know, they're so powerful. Well, well and, and I guess that's another problem I have with the story is if Dr. Manhattan is this powerful, why are we still so close to nuclear war? Wouldn't he have, like, solved the USSR problem? Well, I think he, I think he had everyone, um, he had everybody um, kind of backing off because they knew that. Manhattan was, you know, America uh, branded him as, as, you know, as a weapon. So everyone kind of backed off. But once he disappeared, then it was like a, okay, now we can, they're vulnerable. He's gone. Now we can, uh, you know, we can be aggressive. But, but, but even before he left, I mean, wouldn't have Dr. Manhattan solved the, the Soviet Union problem? Because, you know, here again, he's this all powerful, you know, he, pretty much single-handedly won Vietnam for us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why not take that a logical step further and solve the Soviet Union problem for us? Because like we discussed before, he doesn't care. Humanity is a colony of ants to him. He doesn't care what goes on, whether but, the black but, ants are fighting the red ants or, or whatever. He doesn't care. Well, but here again, he still cares. I mean, he still cares enough to work for the U U.S. on whatever project it is that he's working on. Yeah, he cared enough in the, what, late 60s, early 70s to solve the Vietnam problem. That's a very good point. That's a good point. That's uh, a very Derry good point. Derry had a comment. I always thought Dr. Manhattan believed Oz's plan was necessary for humanity to for humanity to reach the next stage of global interaction. So did, and I think Dr. Manhattan does kind of, uh, I don't want to say agree with Ozymandias at the end, but he just kind of, well, he's like, yeah, this is probably the best way to go. And, and here again, may, maybe Manhattan is actually lying when he says that he couldn't see the future. Hmm. Maybe he saw it, saw that Ozymandias was, was right and was, you know, just, not telling everything he knew. I think that Dr. Manhattan, um, maybe it was because, like, he was, even though he knew all these things, like, he was still kind of had, like, the human flaws. Because you know how something can become so sentient that it starts to kind of have these different flaws happen. So I wonder if he just, like, Kind of got caught up in certain human emotions. I just bought your argument, John. Except okay. for, but, 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 so as I was like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because also he ends up killing Rorschach, doesn't he? So mm -hmm. he must have sided up. But if he knew the future, he would have known as well that Rorschach would have sent his journal to the, to the magazine. Hmm. Hmm. And yet he lets that happen. 
So I was convinced 99% until I <laughs> thought about that. So then, I don't know, is that just Dr. Manhattan taking a step back and going, well, you know, well, it, it, let and, and here again, maybe he's planned it out to the nth degree where, you know, Osmanius is right, but Rorschach is right to, you know, because here again, you know, Rorschach sends his journal before, you know, they leave for the Antarctic. So he doesn't, Rorschach does not have the complete story in, you know, he has pretty much, he's pretty close to the end story, but he's not actually all the way there. When he sends it off, hmm. and here again, maybe Manhattan figured figured out that you know what what he what Ozymandias did was right as far as a short term solution, but that you know people did need to know that Ozymandias actually did it, mm-hmm. or maybe this was all planned and Manhattan knew from start to finish what was going to happen, and it was all. He just let things fall where they were supposed to. Right. And here again, you know, Manhattan watched the comedian kill his girlfriend in Vietnam. So he he has been known to let events happen without interfering. But the- yeah, I think, yeah, I think the comedian even tells him, you let that happen. You know, you right. could have stopped me yeah. and you didn't. Yeah. But then, ah, oh, but oh, it's so, so contradictory. But then you're right. <laughs> But then why did he get involved in the Vietnam War and not the Soviet Union problem? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess a a lot of it comes down to, you know, how much you believe in free will and how much versus determinism. And I think, you know, especially with Ozymandias, and I think even more is coming down in the argument of determinism. Well, and, and... with Manhattan, the way he knows how everything, you know, he can see future and past simultaneously, that's a very deterministic argument. Yeah, to, to Marissa, Marissa mentioned this a minute ago, but he became so, uh, you know, he started losing his humanity. So during Vietnam, he had more of his humanity. He was still learning and he was still, you know, still had that part of him. And he just became less and less human and got to the point where he was you know, he was above everything, or he thought he was. Uh, Derry said, of the macro scheme of things, a single generation of devastation could well be an acceptable loss. Possibly, in the grand scheme of things, if you're talking about over thousands of years, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, but back to Maurice's point, so yeah, so Dr. Manhattan is losing his humanity, but when he realizes or he believes that he's the one inducing cancer to all these people, mm-hmm. he, does, he, does, he doesn't not care. He, does, mm-hmm. he has a, an emotional reaction to it, and he does removed himself, at least temporarily. So he's not fully dehumanized, I suppose. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Or did he only care because he had a personal relationship with them? And that's the only reason he cared. Yeah, that was an interesting way to kind of get him to, like, feel that way and 
leave thinking that he caused cancer because that would make sense if he did give people cancer, you know. Uh, Jerry said, I think on Dr. Manhattan's level, solving isn't the same as helping humanity find a way to actually deal with each other without war. Yeah. And I think an important thing to remember is, is uh, Moore wrote this in the mid-80s before the Soviet Union failed. So, you know, we still, at that time, lived under the threat of the Soviet Union, you know, lobbing them over here. Darius said, I think that's the point. Solving Vietnam hasn't changed the things that caused the war in the first place. Uh, Eric, uh, hey Eric, uh, for Manhattan, Vietnam War was the was also now. Oh. We're getting meta now. <laughs> yeah. That's a, wow. Yeah. Mind blown now that I think about it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. I can't, I can't, I cannot, I, I cannot address that point. Don't know how to cope with that. Because everything is now for him, right? It, the past, the future, everything runs at, together for him. It's there's, uh, yeah. It's a great point. Did you no, guys yeah. agree with that? Like about how time is. Well, for me, I go with the uh, Terminator philosophy. There is no fate except that which we may. Because here again, that's another time travel story. Well, that's a time travel story with, you know, multiple timelines. And also, if you look at, again, at Manhattan's way of looking at things, that does not account for randomness. And we do know scientifically that randomness does occur in the universe. So, you know, here again, Manhattan couldn't really, he might have seen a possible future but not necessarily the future. I don't want to get involved in time travel. It's really <laughs> time, time travel is really messy and it's very hard to get right. Yeah. Because of all the paradoxes and everything that it involves. So you could probably fall down a massive rabbit hole here trying to untangle. Oh, yeah. But, you know, in essence, that's what Manhattan is, is a time travel story, because even, yeah, assuming if you accept that he exists in all moments of time simultaneously, then, you know, at some, well, it's not necessarily a time travel if it's a single deterministic, you know, universe where, you know, everything gets played out and there is no variation in the script. Uh, but then again, right. like if it's a deterministic universe, you know, Osmanius wouldn't have had to do what he did. You know, he would he didn't have to do it. He was, you know, kind of fated to do it, which is a whole nother weird mess to to think about. Uh Jose is speechless. Uh Eric <laughs> Uh, random thought parallels between Ozzy and Manhattan to Leto and Paul with the Golden Path. I'm not, familiar, not familiar with that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm sort of. Immerse, are you familiar with that one? Mm -mm. Uh, John, you familiar with the Golden Path? I am not. Eric, you have to illuminate us. Oh, uh, it's a uh, Dune. 
Um, uh, it, was an, it was an expansive uh, interpretation that was only visible. It foretold uh, it foretold the fluid events of the future, both great and small. Yeah, I've not read Dune yet. Me neither. I haven't seen the movie either. It's a um, oh, hold on. It's a TV series, The Golden Path, or it's also a TV series. Set in 1982, spanning 25 years, it tells the story of a family embroiled, embroiled in conflicts of interests. I think that's probably not it. I think it's probably the... Yeah. Um, oh, it's the Dune one, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, Matt. Sorry, we have not read Dune. It, read Dune. Yeah. Well, here's here's I, my excuse. Um, the, the, the movie came out when I was in, like, sixth grade, and for some reason I got scared off from watching the movie. Now this is the, you know, the old David Lynch, uh, Kyle McLaughlin movie. For some reason I got scared off of that movie and I, I just never really thought about ever coming around and picking it up again. I quite fittingly read Dune on my trip to Egypt, uh, but I read the first book and I, I think I, I was okay with it. It didn't wow me, but I didn't hate it. But I I wasn't aware that there were all the other books, and I've got zero intention of, of following the series. So. Marissa, have you read Dune? No. Um, yeah, I'm not huge into science fiction. Um, I've only read a few, and I'm trying to dip my toe in that water, but I don't know. Dune just never sounds like it'd be something I would be interested in. Yes, yeah, a bit like me. I'm okay with dragons and orcs and white walkers, but I'm not okay with spaceships and lightsabers. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I walk both worlds, you know, fairly. I think I like fantasy better, but I do enjoy science fiction, but Yeah, just it's some just one that it's never appealed to me. I just it's never been something I've been really uh, excited to read. Uh, Doctor our friend Daniel, Doctor Puff and stuff. <laughs> the probability trance. That's I think he's referring to Baker, um, if I'm not mistaken, to uh, the Prince of Nothing. And uh, yeah, not that golden path. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the Dune one, not the not the not the uh, television series. Uh, there's a lot of Dune and Prince of Nothing. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. So, have any of you picked up or read the the prequels to Watchmen? Mm -mm. No. no Last for me. <laughs> there is that. I I picked up the which one did I pick up? The comedian, I think it was, because it was written by Brian Azzarello and drawn by Lieber Mecho, which I, I quite rate that pair in there but um yeah i suppose it's one of those things where you're trying to to milk that cow for however much it's worth isn't it yeah from what i remember i think uh, they were kind of hit and miss i never read any of them but it just it seemed i don't know it didn't seem right it to... depends on who you got writing the story isn't it yeah yeah it's mm -hmm. all depends on who the writer is yeah it, it's like those dragon lance uh prequels um, the, the ones that are written by different authors. Some of them are good and some of them aren't. So. Yeah, the one thing that I was confused about is the is the squid at the end. 
um, that was a whole. It, it, it was a little goofy. I don't know. I, I did. I did like the end of the movie. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. Um, I did like the end of the movie better with the bomb going off, or like the, you know, I like that better than the squid. The squid is a little. I mean, I got it, but it was a little. The squid is one of those things that I block in my mind. Like I had to before uh, joining the the stream. I had to go to the back of the book to check that the squid was still there, that it was a real thing. Because you're right, it's so silly that I just, or maybe the movie has made such a such an impression that I've blotted out the silliness of of the squid. But I blocked it out as well. I like I kind of read past that and was like, okay, and kept going. Yeah, I, I, th I actually think the squid's probably a little bit more of a believable ending because, you know, the, the ending of the book says, hey, aliens are here. So that means that, you know, we've got to work together. And so that's what the squid is, is, you know, oh, it's an alien that somehow teleported to our world and, you know, suddenly died. So I took it for, you know, it, it seems to me like you can get people to believe to follow that thread a little bit easier because they see an alien. Yeah, it, it is um, the way I kind of took it after I <laughs> thought about it a little bit. I think um, with the squid, there's no question that it was something otherworldly. There was, it was not a government thing. It was something that was just right. that would bring people together more than a bomb that they could blame on another country or the Soviets put it there or whatever they there's like, you know, who's going to put a squid in the middle of New York. So, you know, I, and that, in that way, I can kind of see why they chose that. And I didn't really see why they needed to, I think he takes the brain of someone and puts it in the squid. I, I forget exactly what during the last, when Ozzy goes through his whole master plan, he talks about taking the brain out of someone's head. and putting Yeah. It's, it's, it's the brain of the, the original author, Black, Black Freighter, wasn't it? Oh, okay. So, because it was like a world-building thing, I think. Yeah, they didn't really go much more in depth about why all those people were on that cruise ship. Like, what was he keeping them there for? I I think those are those are people helping people helping him, and he was just, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, cleaning his tracks or eliminating anyone who knew anything that was happening, so they wouldn't jeopardize his plan and like he killed the, the people who were in uh, in his headquarters there at the end with the poison so I, I think that's what it was is that John and uh, Jose is that what you took it as to that he was just um, killing all the witnesses or all the people involved that makes sense I mean that's what he does in the movie just in a different way um, so and, and I don't remember I, I you know when the scene came up i don't believe i knew that they were people that were working for him i just took it as people who were you know getting out to sea to avoid any fallout from you know nuclear weapons falling that's mm. kind of how i had taken it as well like the rich people are off on the boat you know safe because hmm. the one was drawing the the squid right they were he had a like an easel and she was drawing the squid on an easel, that's why I thought he was, they were connected to him somehow. I forgot about that. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I just found the whole transition into the Antarctic base a little bit weird. Um, I don't know, it seems like a, like a depart, you know, you spend most of the book in this urban setting of following these characters and the history and stuff like that. And then I don't want to say it's jarring because the whole story works very well, but all of a sudden you kind of, you move to a brand new setting that kind of bothered me a little bit. Like, like, like we go from a sort of, it's a murder mystery and then it devolves into these massive Holocaust-like <laughs> alien, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. th th there's a bit of a bait and switch going on there. I, I yeah. don't know if, if, if anyone, know, like if you were okay with that transition or... I, I thought I, I took it as more was kind of poking fun at the whole, tr like the supervillain trope of him having like a secret lair somewhere in the middle of nowhere and... That's kind of the way I, it's kind of the way I took it is he was kind of, you know, having a laugh about it a little bit, just like, you know, because it was so jarring. It was so it was a little little goofy. What did you think about that, Marissa? I definitely thought it was like a super villain kind of layer type of situation, and to have, I just don't understand why he made it so like nice and green inside just to fill it with snow at the end too it's like oh you're not gonna keep that how it is <laughs> i mean he had already killed his his uh, his health there i don't know why he had to yeah that was confusing too uh and daniel says without more i wouldn't even try the uh prequels uh, Matt says, Watchmen is a complete story. I love the comics, but prequels written decades later by other authors. Meh. <laughs> and uh, no alien threat was the worst part about the show. Yeah, because yeah. the weird thing about Watchmen is, I think, because it, at the time and the way uh, comic contracts worked is that everything belongs to DC. Um... I think you know Dave Gibbons was paid by the page, and Alan Moore wrote it. And he got paid whatever, and because he because he, he's never been out of print, the rights have never reverted back to Alan Moore. So I guess DC can do whatever he wants with it, and have that TV show and have the prequels. And didn't they have a weird crossover between Watchmen? They did a weird comic crossover. Yeah, what they was had uh, a few years ago. They had the um, I forget it was an event. They had that they crossed over with. Um, yeah, there was a weird. I forget exactly what. But... what. What was it? Was it with Batman and Superman and all the stuff, or was it yeah, something it was because else? They they were combining because they had the new Fifty Two. I think was that back in two thousand eleven or so, and then they combined the two worlds again. They brought back continuity from uh, from before. So I think they. It was all a, a, a doctor because they re, they started everything from scratch with the new fifty two and yeah you know ten years ago, and then I guess they turned it into as a Doctor Manhattan thing. Uh, no, it, that's why people don't read. <laughs> well, people get they, lost in comics. That's the problem with DC is that every five years they reboot the whole universe, isn't it? Yeah. Did you all watch the TV show as well? No, I'm not looking at it. Yeah. I tried and I just didn't really get into that either. I, I thought they, they did some all right things. Um, 
but at the the second half of the of the season just didn't just didn't do it for me. But I think there were some neat ideas. I just think we just didn't need it. Like it wasn't like create something new, you know, yeah. take that all that creative talent and create something new and fresh. And you know, it didn't. We don't. I don't. Know, I just felt like it wasn't. It wasn't really necessary. Uh, and yeah, uh, Matt says yeah. More hates everything Watchmen after his comic. More hates a lot of things. Um, More hates everything that's not to do with what he's directly done. He, he hates every single adaptation of all his works. But I have to say, um, I suspect the reason he sold the rights to all the comics to make movies was to help the art. Well, I know he did it to help the artists. Hmm. So uh, because I met David Lloyd as well and Kevin O'Neill, so the the artists for V for Vendetta and League of Gentlemen. And David Lloyd told me that Alan Moore sold the rights to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to help Kevin O'Neill financially. So he, he didn't care about the movie. He doesn't rate it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. But out of friendship, out of helping Kevin O'Neill, he sold the rights to the movie. And I suspect that's the same thing with Watchmen and with... Um, for Vendetta. Have, has, has anyone read? Because Jose, you mentioned about DC owning the rights to everything, and now, uh, you know, after Image, all that kind of changed with, you know, uh, creator owned books. Has anybody read Alan Moore's newer books? Like the book, the like the Lovecraft series he had with um, Jason Burroughs? Have you, have you guys read that? I, I don't need pornography in my comics. Um, so I usually, t I tend to stay away from that sort of thing. Um, I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, fair play to him. Whenever he writes pornography, he will come out and say, I've written pornography. He doesn't try to mask it. He doesn't try to call it art. He doesn't try to sell it. Cause he did that weird thing with, um, lost girls with his wife, hmm. where he took, um, Wendy from Peter Pan and he took a few girls from sort of um, traditional children's tales and put them doing, you know, sexy things in a comic and he just called it pornography. And it's like, okay, I know where it is and I can either take it or leave it. And I, I, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, th this is the only thing of Moore's that I've read. And it's largely because this book reinforced why I prefer standard novels over graphic novels. It's just, I like the story telling better in it. Now, here again, I mean, the artwork in this is amazing. I will say that. And I think this story probably works best as a graphic novel. It's just not my preferred reading style. And our friend uh, Layla, Layla's here. I'm sorry, Marissa, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't really read too many graphic novels, but with, um, Watchmen, it just because I've never been one to be into superheroes, like I don't like Superman or Spider-Man or anything like that, but I loved um, Invincible and The Boys and I really enjoyed Watchmen and yeah, I, I loved the artwork in it, like I just thought everything about it was really, really good Invincible is really good, did you read the whole series? I have and it's yeah. Definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, it's so good. Really, really good. 
Uh, Daniel says, and Amazon can do whatever they want with Tolkien's world, but without him or the Civilarian, it's not looking good. I have started Jerusalem twice, but I stopped. It's, it's so big and intimidating. Uh, last time we, when we had the the stream for Caliban's War, uh, I think someone had mentioned it. I forget who it was, but I went out and checked on Amazon. It was on sale, so I got it for like five bucks. So I'll probably be reading it. Uh, I've seen Jerusalem in bookstores, and yeah, it does look intimidating. And I'm not entirely sure. I don't quite understand what it is about, but it's some sort of saga history of his hometown or whatever it is. I don't even know why it's called Jerusalem. I, I, So uh, what did everyone what everyone think about Watchmen uh, general thoughts and uh, kind of what's your what's your takeaways were what what stood out to you the most because I think everyone has a different uh, the different storylines different things stick out for different people so what stuck out for you um, Don't all go I, at once. I, I, <laughs> no I just I think for me it's one of those graphic novels I go back to every every so often and I reread because it is not a superhero comic, and, and that's when I like my comics best, is trying to do something and tell a story. And Alan Moore was trying to, he was trying to kill the superhero genre with this. He was trying to show people that superheroes must be mentally deranged people, and why would you follow them and, and deconstruct that whole, that whole thing? Um, I, th I think it's just a great story that works exceptionally well from beginning to end and um you know it's one of time magazine's 100 best novels ever so there's a reason for it yeah i'd have to agree oh go ahead john oh i was just gonna say i have to agree for sure i think that you know there are more anti-heroes than anything and i really like that you know, picking apart the superhero because, in my opinion, I think if superheroes did exist, it would be something like Watchmen or like The Boys. And um, I think that it's just really interesting to think about. Yeah, I never, never liked Superman. Um, I don't think, I think they would have to be really crazy to fight crime and do all that <laughs> stuff. So. Yeah, as for me, I mean, before I read Watchmen, I, I just never had gotten into graphic novels, and I'd really kind of dismissed them as, you know, for kids, because that was really the only kind of comics I'd ever been exposed to. And, you know, this kind of showed me what was possible with a graphic novel. And, like I said earlier, I think I remember enjoying it more the first time I read it than I did this time. For me, this time, I, I just, I, I had problems with the story itself. Like I said, the artwork's great. I kind of, you know, I get why it's a graphic novel. But as I was going through the story, like, things were kind of coming up that I was having problems with. And again, as I mentioned, maybe I'm just in a weird place where everything sucks. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's kind of my my thoughts on it this time around. I've definitely been there where it's like nothing, nothing is sitting quite right. John, you need another road trip. 
I, I, well, I, that, and I think that's part of my problem is, is I went on this amazing road trip and, you know, I was riding high and then I came home and it was like, okay, what's next? And I've not really kind of figured that out yet because since I've been home, I've, I, I, I've been in probably my worst reading slump because, you know, I actually, it was a week between finishing a book and then picking up Watchmen and reading it. Didn't read anything for a week. And only picked this up because I had this to come to. So <laughs> maybe we need to invite you every week to chat. <laughs> uh, we are doing V for Vendetta in a couple of weeks. So Yeah, I and I, I haven't yeah, you know, I haven't committed to that yet. I, I don't know. I, I did enjoy that movie. I've seen the movie and I enjoyed it. So, but I've not read the graphic novel yet. I'd probably say that's the more uh, faithful adaptation of all of Alan Moore's uh, comics. Um, are, are you or, talking V for Vendetta or v Watchmen? For Vendetta. Yeah, yeah. No, V for Vendetta. Hmm. Even, even though Alan Moore still despairs about it. Um, but uh, we, that, that was done before Watchmen, that was an earlier work. Um, it's a very different sort of thing. I've not read that one or seen that movie yet, but I've heard very good things about both. And speaking of the adaptation, I rereading re this one this time and after seeing the movie a few times, I'm surprised how close this is because some of the scenes are right out of the book. Yeah. Well, apparently Zack Snyder was taking pages of the comic and using them for the storyboard, isn't it? Allegedly, that's the, what they were doing there. Yeah, I don't know. Alan Moore is a very peculiar kind of, you know, he's a peculiar man. He's, he's an anarchist. He believes in magic and all this kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a case maybe of separating the artist from the art because... He's, he's a bit weird that way. You don't believe in magic? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something, but ladies present. So. <laughs> it's okay to see it. You're good. No, no, no. Well, it, it sounds like Moore has a problem of understanding that, you know, an adaptation cannot be a an exact faithful retelling of the original work. And, you know, I'm okay with, there being differences between the two, the two, as long as you know it's well done. No, I think I think he's aware of that, but he always talks about that the adaptations are not true or not faithful to the spirit of the story, hmm. and that's the bit I kind of wrap my head around because I think the Watchmen movie is a pretty good, uh, you know, sort of. Adaptation, you know, he's pretty faithful to what he was trying to do. Yeah, we don't have the giant squid, we don't have the black fighter, but all in all, I think it, it does what 80% of the comic. Oh, at least, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this is as far as I can, you know, as, as I can judge, it's a fairly faithful retelling of the original story. What do you think, Marissa? Is it pretty close, the movie to the book? I think it is pretty close, you know. Um, I can definitely see 
like I think if I was an author, an artist, I would I if I made anything, I probably wouldn't want a movie adaptation just because it can kind of it's never the exact same, but like John said, as long as it's good, you know, like how is it the show is completely different than the comics, but I think both of those are equally as good. So it just depends. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, it's it's hard. It's hard to, it, you know, just for like a, a normal movie going person who's used to watching like the MCU movies and they walk into something like Watchmen and they're expecting a superhero movie, it's not going to be what they expect. This is totally different. So I think uh, without knowing, without reading the book first or kind of, you know, having experience with lots of different types of stories like John, like you are, I think it's, it's hard for people to, to get into that movie without having a little bit of background on it first. Did you guys do movie first and then the comic? I did movie first. I'm pretty sure. I did movie first as well. Uh, I did comic first. I read it back in, I don't know, years ago. And then I saw the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I went to see the movie because I had read the comic and like, I really wanted to, to see that. But I suppose I could see how people might struggle a little bit yeah. doing the reverse. I feel like I got way more context clues reading the comic and stuff because, yeah, there was a lot that I just didn't pick up in the movie. And and, and vice versa, I suppose. It's just, you know, it yeah. helps to, to understand the story, to say in different mediums. But obviously you watch the movie and then you go to the comics and you find all this extra stuff in in there. I think maybe, well, maybe not. Well, I mean, that's pretty much true of any movie that you see first and then read the book. You're always going to, because there's just so much you can put in a movie. You know, the, the, there's a lot from a book you have to leave out. And even even the adaptations of movies, the, the novelizations of movies that I've read, usually those books, you know, contain more information than you get from the movie. So, yeah, and, and and don't get me wrong. I think, I think in this case, I'm kind of indifferent if I, if which way I would have gone, uh, or maybe it depends on what you've done first. That's sort of your favor, because the Godfather. I watched the movie so many times before I read the book, and when I read the book, there were whole sections there that I was so happy they cut out from the movie because I could have done without them. It, it expands and sort of not even secondary characters, but there are, there are things there that are like, why? Why are we writing about this? Some woman having reconstructive surgery on her nether regions. Why, why, why is that? Why do we need to know? I'm glad it's not in the movie. Um, but I think that's not the case in Watchmen. I think the extra bits you get in the comic add to the story instead of detract from it. Definitely agree. I think they were like Easter eggs, if anything. Mm -hmm. And they did a really good job casting the Watchmen movie. I think all the characters are pretty close to mm -hmm. the characters in the book. I definitely agree. Yeah, I think I think definitely the guy that played Rorschach was brilliant. I think I was quite stoked to see him in Preacher. But then I couldn't stomach the preacher 
TV show adaptation. I think I gave up after three or four episodes. I, I really tried, but it's such a shame what happened to that show. Is it? Did did it get cancelled or? It did. Yeah, after season three, I st- I gave up, but it was after season three or four it it got cancelled. So they were trying to. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother discussion, <laughs> but they tried to give a whole lot of backstory that wasn't into the comic. So you had like the first season wasn't even, they didn't even touch a lot of the main storyline until the end of the first season. And then they got canceled three seasons in. So there's, there's so much more story to, so I just, I didn't bother. It just it was too depressing. Cause, Cause like, I can understand those TV shows changing things so that the person that has read the comics doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. Like, Walking Dead did that brilliantly, mm-hmm. even introduced characters that are not in the comics. And I really enjoyed Walking Dead from beginning to end. Mm. I think it's similar to The Boys and a couple others. But but yeah, the, the whole preacher thing just felt very flat for me. I have those comics, the preacher comics, and I really want to get around to reading them. And I think we may have started the show because my husband, that's one of his favorite ones, but I didn't really get into the show, so. Oh, yeah, do yourself a favor. Yeah. Totally Forget about. Different. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the preacher, yeah, preacher is, is an old time. It is great. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know when you want to read that. I'd, I'd be down for a reread for that. John, I think you may you may enjoy that one. Maybe we have to get you out of your slump, out of your, out of your hangover. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never, like I said, I've not read a lot of graphic novels, and it's definitely one that I've not read. The Boys, too, is great. I feel like lots of gory, <laughs> yeah. weird See, that's, that's the problem. I don't, in fact, I've forgotten how gory kind of Watchmen is. At least by my standards, so, and, and I generally avoid avoid that. Johnny, hey. you've read Beyond Redemption. You're fine. <laughs> that that book challenged me. You have no idea how much. I I told somebody, you know, I was reading uh, Black Company at the time, and so I was like, okay, this is Grimdark. I can handle Grimdark, and it, so Black Company is like, you know, pl- uh, splashing around in the shallow end of the pool. Whereas Beyond Redemption is like getting dropped into the middle of the ocean, like during a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think comics are, are great, and I think it doesn't exist anymore. But anything that was released by the Vertigo label of DC is worth picking up. Anything, like any series you pick, is bound to be good. Um, so yeah, Why the Last Man, Preacher, American oh, Vampire, uh, the original Saga of the Swamp thing by Alan Moore, that, that was quite brilliant as well. Um, yeah. 100 Bullets. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Cool, well, who's, who's coming back for V for Vendetta in what, two weeks? Okay. I might, but okay. I have been so slacking on my TBR, and I'm trying to get ready for negative space. Oh, okay. Okay, well, you're, you're excused this time, but 
<laughs> I'm on. I have I haven't decided like yet. Like I said, I did enjoy the movie, so it it, it wouldn't be a bad idea for me to you know read the uh, read it and then rewatch the movie because I haven't seen it you know in probably fifteen years now. I, the the movie is that old, right? Is it that old? I think so. Yeah, it's two thousand. Yeah, yeah it, it goes by in a hurry. I mean, the years. Time. What year is it? it? It's 2022. Okay. Let me see. Oh, it's rubbish. Like a couple of weeks ago, like my oldest son is turned seven. I thought, wow, seven already? Like, really? Yeah. We- well, my, my brother's oldest is 22 now. And it's like, <laughs> how is that even possible? Yeah. Yeah, it's a 2005 movie. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the, the good part about um, graphic novels is the time investment. Because I read through this in like two afternoons. Whereas other books, it takes me like a week. So This definitely took me a week. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Daniel says, I will watch the V for Vendetta discussion. Uh, <laughs> uh, the darkness that comes before and negative space is enough for now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel's doing the, the part by part of... Um, the dark the prince of nothing series with us every week so we're reading a part every week so cool so uh does everyone want to does anyone have a rating or what would you what are your your final thoughts what's your rating i have to say 10 out of 10 i loved it yeah i haven't given it a rating on goodreads yet i'm kind of bouncing between three and four stars um and really, for me, if I give it four stars, it will be for the artwork, not the story. I, I, I never give anything ratings. Um, but whatever your scale is, it's going to be pretty close to the top. I, th- I think, like I said before, first time I read it, I didn't quite understand it. But I had the feeling that I had read something big, something important. And I think on subsequent rereads and watching people explaining it and stuff, I do understand that. And I think it's exceptionally well-crafted. And yeah, whatever scale you go with, somewhere up there, for sure. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's it's up there. I think it's one of those, uh, I think everyone should read it eventually. I think it's, everyone should yeah, try. I, I definitely think it's important enough that people should read it. You know, if you're serious about, you know, reading <laughs> and, 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 and to contextualize, like this came at a time where DC and the comics were a bit silly. It was like Batman was, you know, that campy 70s thing. And then Watchmen along, uh, people put Frank Miller's Batman Year One kind of, no, the, sorry, Dark Knight Returns kind of on par with Watchmen in terms of making superhero comics darker in the 80s and 90s. But I rate Watchmen way higher than Dark Knight Returns. Um, but, but yeah, they, it definitely had an impact on the whole industry and changed things. So, you know, as such, um, you know, it should be highly regarded. Yeah, I think it asks important questions too and kind of being able, I feel like everyone probably has a different answer on what they would have chosen to happen in the end. 
Yeah, it's it's a great book to to talk about after because there's a lot to a lot of questions, a lot of a lot of fun topics to to dissect. Like today, we the time travel thing. I didn't even think about that. So a whole other perspective. So Marissa, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to find you? Do you have any uh, social media platforms you use or just here on YouTube? Yes. So I have an Instagram and it's at pages of Mars and you can reach me there or on YouTube at Marissa Bailey. Cool. John, you want to tell us about your, uh, your socials and where people can find you and argue with you about your three-star rating for Watchmen? <laughs> uh, I'm Hey Y'all Listen Up on YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. So you can find me any. I, I mostly hang out on, on YouTube, but I do have accounts on the other two. And, and, you know, here again, I will do a monthly wrap-up. So, you know, check that one out. And, and, and see, you know, watch, watch me just rip on everything I read this month. <laughs> Good stuff. Keep it honest. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it honest. Jose, what about you? Where's the best place to find you? Uh, YouTube. So the Wheel of Time sucks. Give it a search and I'm there. And I've also got Instagram, although I don't understand how Instagram works with the whole reading book thing, but it's uh, jose.amazing.worlds and I'm somewhere there. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks to all of you for taking your time out of your day to come and chat about Watchmen, and hopefully John will convince you to uh, to get V for Vendetta and see how low you can score V for Vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Marissa, you're, you're welcome to join if uh, if you can fit it in your your schedule. No, it's tough, but cool. Thanks to everyone who came by in the chat, and all of you for coming by and gave me more to think about for Watchmen. Thanks, everybody.